Good evening and welcome to the Spirit and Life Bible Study. My name is Jonathan. Our reader is Kara tonight, and our topic is the table of showbread. We've been talking the last couple of weeks about the tabernacle and living by the model of the tabernacle. And I want to continue tonight. The table of showbread was inside the holy place. And so we'll talk about and try to imagine what that means. Is that something we can identify in our own lives? Uh, there are a couple of mysteries about the showbread. I just want to mention a couple up front in case it sort of lures you into this program. Uh, one is that uh, it's called showbread and it's hidden behind 15 foot boards where nobody can see it. And also, isn't it interesting that there was showbread that was inside the tabernacle that was made by people and brought in there to be before the Lord, and yet the Lord was raining bread every day on the whole camp in the form of manna, which they would then take and cook throughout the 40 years of their wandering in the wilderness. And the one day when manna wouldn't fall was the Sabbath, and the Sabbath is when you'd change out the showbread. In, you know, who knows what it means? We shall not be informing you about that this evening, but we'll be exploring other mysteries, and I invite you to join us. Shall we open with a prayer, good friends? Who know? How do I know what we're going to explain and what we're not? I don't know. How do we? Our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, we thank you for bringing us together in your name. We pray that you open the pages of your word to us, Lord. Show us the qualities of your truth, your eternal compassion in these pages. Show us what this symbolism means. Amen. Sending out love to those of you who are online, on the phone, getting the audio, and here in the room. Blessing to be with you again, good friends. The Table of Showbread. All right, I think we should just jump in by reading a little bit about this back in Exodus chapter 25. Now, it's interesting to me that the manna starts in Exodus 16. They start to have this manna that rains down, this bread from heaven that comes on the whole camp, all over the place, and they just go out and gather it outside. And yet in the sanctuary, a few chapters later, that's described for Moses by God on the top of the mountain, there's supposed to be a table for showbread, but that bread is supposed to be made by people and brought in there once a week. And we'll describe a little bit of how, 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 about how that goes. Exodus 25, that's, that's where I want to start. And uh, let's start. In verse 23 there. 25, 23. You shall make for it a frame. That? Am I in the right place? Uh, I don't know. Keep going. 25, 23. 25, 23. 23. Yep. You shall also make a table of acacia. Wood. There we go. There we go. Two cubits shall be its length, a cubit its width, and a cubit and a half its height. And you shall overlay it with pure gold and make a molding of gold all around. You shall make for it a frame of a handbreadth all around, and you shall make a gold molding for the frame all around. And you shall make for it four rings of gold and put the rings on the four corners that are at its four legs. The rings shall be close to the frame as holders for the poles to bear the table. And you shall make the poles of acacia wood and overlay them with gold, that the table may be carried with them. You shall make its dishes, its pans, its pitchers, and its bowls for pouring. 
you shall make them of pure gold, and you shall set the showbread on the table before me always. Always. Okay, so there's a little statement right there. Always. Uh, so there's something about this bread that is supposed to be continual or perpetual. It's always there on that table. Uh, I hope you are aware, good friends, that the tabernacle was a portable sanctuary, and that's why it has those rings so that it can be carried from here to there. So once they had this design of the tabernacle, once the tabernacle was made, it followed them everywhere they went, whether they were you know, way off somewhere or they were over here or they were with enemies or it was peaceful, wherever it was, they, this tabernacle would go with them and they would set it up wherever they stopped and they would have showbread out there. And then can you read in 29, just out of interest again, there are four sort of vessels that I often forget about that are also on that table. And we don't know what the arrangement is or anything, but what does it say? You shall make its dishes. Dishes. Its pans. Pans. Hmm. Its pitchers and its bowls for pouring. You shall make them of pure gold. Yes, okay, for pouring. Now there's nothing liquid involved, so what, why do you need pouring? In the Old King James, it refers to them as dishes, spoons, covers, and bowls. There's some sort of utensils that are out there on the table but it seems like the bread is not in the utensils, it's just sitting out there. Uh, let's read some more passages. Exodus chapter 40. Uh, this is about when Moses set up the uh, tabernacle. And uh, verses 22 and 23 in Exodus 40. He put the table in the tabernacle of meeting on the north side of the tabernacle outside the veil. Yes, okay, so this table's on the north. So my diagram, for those of you who can see the diagram, is actually, this would be facing east upward this way. So the north side has the table of showbread, the south side has the lampstand. I mean west, I'm sorry, this is west this way. Yeah, it, it's weird that the Holy of Holies is at the west end, but this east entrance is very important. That's right, so this is on the north, that's on the south. Go ahead. And he set the bread in order upon it before the Lord, as the Lord had commanded Moses. Okay, so the bread goes in order. There's a particular arrangement of it that I think we will find out in a little bit. Uh, turn to the right, and you'll go into Leviticus very quickly. Let's look at Leviticus uh, chapter 6, verse 14. Start there for a few verses. This is the law of the grain offering. <clears throat> the sons of Aaron shall offer it on the altar before the Lord. He shall take from it his handful of the fine flour of the grain offering with its oil and all the frankincense which is on the grain offering and shall burn it on the altar for a sweet aroma as a memorial to the Lord. And the remainder of it Aaron and his sons shall eat. Okay. Go with on. unleavened bread, it shall be eaten in a holy place. In the court of the tabernacle of meeting, they shall eat it. Yeah, so they eat. This is a different offering. This was a grain offering. But they'd eat it out here in the court, which was a holy place. But only the only ones who could eat it were Aaron and his sons. Okay, because that's related to what happens to the bread from the table of showbread. Uh, look at Leviticus 24, a very crucial passage here. 
verses 5 and following. So slow tonight. Okay, 24, 5. And you shall take fine flour and bake 12 cakes with it. This is the showbread. Okay, so now we find out, we hadn't found out before, there are 12 cakes, okay, made of fine flour. And Two. this is being ordered to Moses, uh, and Aaron has to actually make it. Go on. Two tenths of an ephah shall be in each cake. Okay. You shall set them in two rows, six in a row, on the pure gold table before the Lord. Aha. So six. In, so there's 12, and there's six in a row, and six in a row. We weren't told that before, but now we know there they are. And they're before the Lord. And this seems to have to do with where the showbread name comes from. It's not a show to anybody else, you know, like Aaron and his sons, who's, he's the high priest. They're the only people who see it, uh, but it's before the Lord. It's also referred to as the bread of presence in some translations. And uh, we'll talk about that a bit. And uh, the reason it has an E in it in the Old King James is it same as the word sow. You've seen that S-E-W for sowing and S-O-W. It, it's, uh, it's an alternate spelling. So the showbread, that's the Old English spelling of the show. So it means showbread, like it's for display. Uh, go on. And you shall put pure frankincense on each row. Like it doesn't say how or where exactly, but on. So you have these two rows with six and you have pure frankincense on each row that it may be on the bread for a memorial an offering made by fire to the lord yeah now what's odd about this is they don't burn anything on this table but it seems some people think that they take the incense from there that they burn on the altar of incense which is right by the veil so that's where the incense is kept and they take that and burn it and go on very important detail here every sabbath he shall set it in order before the Lord continually. Ah, there's the word continually. Being taken from the children of Israel by an everlasting covenant. Okay, so the children of Israel supply this and the high priest takes it in there every Sabbath and sets it in order. So there's fresh bread every Sabbath, 12 loaves, each loaf made with two tenths of an ephah of fine flour. And what happens to the bread? Verse 9. And it shall be for Aaron and his sons, and they shall eat it in a holy place. For it is most holy to him from the offerings of the Lord made by fire, by a perpetual statute. Yes, even though it doesn't say what the fire, like there's nothing burned about, there's no burning, it's not an altar, there's no burning goes on with it. It's weird that it calls it an uh, offering by fire. But again, the idea of perpetual, so everlasting covenant. Uh, is the tabernacle still, is that still going or is it gone? There's no, there's no physical tabernacle. So that everlasting wasn't so everlasting. So what, <laughs> what's the everlasting about the everlasting covenant? It was an everlasting covenant that this bread had to be there. And so interesting, what I gather is that they would make the bread. Then on the Sabbath, Aaron would take the 12 loaves of bread. He'd remove the old bread lay the new bread out in order, boom, 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 the 12 loaves. I don't know if he had to actually physically put the frankincense on it or whether it's just in the bowls that are next to it or whatever that means, but there it is. And then he would take the bread, I believe, out of there into the courtyard, same as we heard with that other thing, and eat it. Still in a holy place, it said. You know, eat it in a holy place. So the bread would be made, it would sit for a week, 
and then he would take it out and they would eat and they were the only ones who were allowed to eat it. So this symbolism is very important and no one knows what it means. No, we, we will attempt to give some meaning to this by the end of this time together, good friends. Uh, look at Leviticus 26. This just happens to be a little prophecy here. Leviticus 26 has all these curses and blessings. Let's read some of the blessings, starting in verse 3 there. If you walk in my statutes and keep my commandments and perform them, then I will give you rain in its season. The land shall yield its produce, and the trees of the field shall yield their fruit. Your threshing shall last till the time of vintage, and the vintage shall last till the time of sowing. You shall eat your bread to the full and dwell in your land safely. I will give peace in the land, and you shall lie down, and none will make you afraid. I will rid the land of evil beasts, and the sword will not go through your land. You will chase your enemies, and they shall fall by the sword before yes. you. Yes, and it continues along these lines. He'll establish a covenant with us and set up his tabernacle among us and so on. I'll walk among you, says verse 12, and be your God, and you'll be my people. So uh, the point I want to make here, you can't see it exactly in this passage, but you see that in verse 5, the, the eating of bread is associated with safety. It's a dwelling safely. Doesn't it say that? Mm -hmm. Dwell in your land safely. I will give you peace in the land. You'll lie down. No one shall make you afraid. Those are what I would call emotional experiences, aren't they? Like that's a state of your heart that you have no fear, that you can lie down safely, that you're not worried. You chase your enemies and they fall by the sword. The evil beasts are rid out of the land, which Swedenborg means are negative emotions. And I think this has something to do with this bread. And why I think that, I want to go on a brief tangent here, if you will, good friends. Um, look at, so turn to the right through Numbers to Deuteronomy 16, verse 3. Because there are certain phrases in Scripture about bread. These are not about the show bread, but to me they speak to what bread means in Scripture. 16, verse 3. You shall eat no leavened bread with it. Seven days you shall eat unleavened bread with it. That is, the bread of affliction. Ah, what is it? the bread of what? Affliction. The bread of affliction. The bread of affliction. Interesting. We just read bread associated with lying down, not being afraid, and so on. Here's the bread of affliction. Okay, file that in your mind. Uh, turn to the right Go through Joshua and Judges, 1 and 2 Samuel. Go to 1 Kings, chapter 22. Verse 27. And say, thus says the king, put this fellow in prison and feed him with bread of affliction and water of affliction until I come in peace. Wow. Okay. There's bread of affliction and water of affliction. Is that literally literal bread and literal water? Doesn't that mean your experience? Doesn't the bread mean that you will have the experience of affliction? That you will be sort of eating or having that experience, you know, you'll ha be having a visceral experience of affliction. Isn't that what that means? Uh, turn to the right and go way, 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 way through the Psalms all the way to Isaiah. Chapter 30, 
just looking for phrases about bread and trying to get a handle on what bread means. 30, verse 20. This is about a beautiful prophecy of the future when people will weep no more. And then what does it say in verse 20? And though the Lord gives you the bread of adversity and the water of affliction, mm. yet your teachers will not be moved into a corner anymore, but your eyes shall see your teachers. And I want to read the next verse just because I love it. Your ears shall hear a word behind you saying, this is the way, walk in it. Whenever you turn to the right hand or whenever you turn to the left. So I would argue that the bread of adversity there and the water of affliction is an experience. Like it's the bread is an emotional experience of affliction, of adversity, I mean. The water is an intellectual experience of affliction, affliction in your mind, uh, adversity in your heart. See what I'm driving at? The bread, it's not literal bread, right? It's not talking about literal bread. Look at uh, Psalm, oh, turn to the left, sorry. Go back to the Psalms, if you will, and uh, let's get Psalm 127. I got these out of order. Psalm 127, verse 2. Mm, let's read verse 1, too. It's so excellent. Unless the Lord builds the house, they labor in vain who build it. Unless the Lord guards the city, the watchman stays awake in vain. It is vain for you to rise up early, to sit up late, to eat the bread of sorrows, mm. for so he gives his beloved sleep. To eat the bread. See, that even specifies eating. To eat the bread of sorrows. Doesn't that mean that bread has a correspondence in Scripture of an emotional experience? It's the, when you're in a state of sorrow, Scripture describes that as eating the bread of sorrows. Isn't that where it's sort of a consuming thing? Or Right? We use that of emotional experiences. I was consumed with grief or something. Uh, the eating the bread of sorrows. And um, so if bread means, I'm arguing there that bread means the fact that it can be used of adversity or affliction or sorrow means that bread is an emotional experience that we have. That's one of the meanings of, of bread. It's a state that you have. So um, uh, let's go back then at the end of the, um, oh, I want to read Numbers. Where's that passage in Numbers? Numbers chapter 4, I think it is. I didn't mark it down. So if you go back to the five books of Moses, it's the fourth one in there. Don't we have something we want to read here in Numbers 4? Seven, talking about the table of showbread. Yes, thank you. There it is. Yeah, this is cool. This is the way you'd actually transport it because it was a portable thing. So what do you do to the table of showbread? Oh, it tells us in Numbers 4 here. Go ahead. On the table of showbread, they shall spread a blue cloth. Oh, cool. <clears throat> blue cloth. They spread a blue cloth over it. Okay. And put on it the dishes, the pans, the bowls, and the pitchers for pouring. Oh, okay. So all that... The utensils. So for, I guess you lift that stuff off or something. Put a blue cloth down there and then put that on top of the blue cloth. All right. And the showbread shall be on it. Yes. And the showbread, you, you leave that there. They shall spread over them a scarlet cloth. Okay. So you got a blue cloth underneath. You put a scarlet cloth over the top. And cover the same with a covering of badger skins. Why not? 
That was the first thing that occurred to me. Put badger skins around the whole thing. You know, they're, they're tough as nails. I mean, you'll never get through that. So you put blue cloth underneath, scarlet cloth on the top, then you wrap the whole thing in badger skins and... And they shall insert its poles. Yes, that's right. And then they go on to describe how they move other things. So that's how you would move it. You would sort of wrap it up, get it ready for transport, and then you'd move it forward. That's, that's cool. Uh, okay, let's go to... I think, did we already read 1 Samuel 21? I think we did, didn't we? I don't think we did. 21, oh, no, we didn't. This was the story. We don't have to go into detail here, but there's a story that you may be familiar with where David uh, was hungry and he went to the tabernacle. Uh, he asked, and he asked whether there was any food there. Look at verse 3. Now, therefore, what have you on hand? Give me five loaves of bread in my hand, or whatever can be found. And the priest answered David and said, There is no common bread on hand, but there is holy bread. Holy bread. The yeah. holy bread. So David's here, and this gets referred to several <laughs> times in the New Testament, doesn't it? Where David, you know, the Lord says, Hey, didn't, don't you read what they did, how David went in there and ate that thing that you're not allowed to eat? He ate the bread, the show bread. Go on. Um, but there is holy bread if the young men have at least kept themselves from women. Yes, that's right. You don't want that polluting influence, do you, friends? Go on. Then David answered the priest and said to him, Truly, women have been kept from us about three days since I came out. And the vessels of the young men are holy, and the bread is in effect common, even though it was consecrated in the vessel this day. Oh. So the priest gave him holy bread. <coughs> Excuse me. For there was no bread there but the showbread, which had been taken from before the Lord, in order to put hot bread in its place on the day when it was taken away. Hot bread. You see, it would be fresh baked. It goes in hot. Little detail you don't get anywhere else, but they would bake it. It would go in hot on the Sabbath, and you take the other bread away. And so he had this bread that only the priest and his family were allowed to eat, and they had to eat it in the court of the tabernacle there. All right, and David at the same time picks up Goliath's sword. All that is fraught with unbelievable meaning into which we shall not go. The, um, <laughs> now, <laughs> Deuteronomy 8, verse 3. <coughs> oh, yeah, let's read Deuteronomy. Let's go back to Deuteronomy. Sorry, we're jumping all over the place. 8, verse 3. Yes. And he's telling, let's read 8, verse 2 and 3. And you shall remember that the Lord your God led you all the way these 40 years in the wilderness to humble you and to test you, to know what was in your heart, whether you would keep his commandments or not. So he humbled you, allowed you to hunger, and fed you with manna, which you did not know, nor did your fathers know, that he might make you know. That and here's this resonant phrase. That man shall not live by bread alone. But man lives by every word that proceeds from the mouth of the Lord. Yes, another little hint possibly. This is about the manna, but uh, bread in general applies that this has something to do with the word that comes from the Lord. Uh, we don't live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of the Lord. Um, let's go to 1 Kings 7. So turn to the right, go through First and Second Samuel, get to 1 Kings chapter 7. Now, after they got into the land, the 
manna stopped coming as soon as they ate the produce of the Holy Land. The manna stopped happening. And Solomon eventually, after the time of David, built a temple. And what does it say in 7 verse 48? Thus Solomon had all the furnishings made for the house of the Lord, the altar of gold and the table of gold on which was the showbread. Yes, so that was part of the temple too. That, that made it from the tabernacle into the temple. That was, that was part of it. Okay, and uh, so turn to the right and go to 1 Chronicles. First uh, Chronicles 9... <coughs> 32, an interesting little detail here that we hadn't heard before. And some of their brethren of the sons of the Kohathites were in charge of preparing the showbread for every Sabbath. Yes, okay, so before it said the children of Israel, but here it's the sons of the Kohathites were in charge of the showbread to prepare it every Sabbath. A little tiny detail, but not one we had before. Let's go to 23... Verse 29 in the same book. Uh, this is about the Levites. Let's read from verse 27. For by the last words of David, the Levites were numbered from 20 years old and above, because their duty was to help the sons of Aaron in the service of the house of the Lord, in the courts and in the chambers, in the purifying of all holy things and the work of the service of the house of God. Namely both with the showbread okay. and the fine flour for the grain offering, with the unleavened cakes and what is baked in the pan, with what is mixed and with all kinds of measures and sizes. Yes, and it goes on from there about the burnt offerings and so on. So these were part of the things that they do. They had charge of the, um, that showbread. Look at 28, First Chronicles 28. Um... I want to just skim down here and see. Oh, yes, it just, it just mentions in verse 16 that, that Solomon gave the gold for the tables of the showbread. Um, okay, let's go to Second Chronicles 2, verse 4. Two verse and four. Solomon is describing his temple. Behold, I am building a temple for the name of the Lord my God, to dedicate it to him, to burn before him sweet incense for the continual showbread. Ah, you see, again, continual. The showbread is something constant or perpetual. It's the continual showbread. And for the, go on. Sorry. For the burnt offerings morning and evening on the Sabbaths, on the new moons, and on the set feasts of the Lord our God. This is an ordinance forever, forever to Israel. An ordinance forever. Again, this idea of the everlasting covenant and the showbread was part of it. How about 4 verse 19? 4 verse 19. Oh, that just says that Solomon made the table of showbread. Let's go to 13. Let's see if there's anything there. 13 verse 11. It's about what they do, the, Aaron, the sons of Aaron and the Levites. And they burned to the Lord every morning and every evening burnt sacrifices and sweet incense. Ah. They also set the showbread in order on the pure gold table. Yes, the pure gold table. And the lampstand of gold with its lamps to burn every evening. For we keep the command of the Lord our God 
But you have forsaken him. Yes. All right. Good, good, good. Let's... Um, okay, a couple of things I want to read. So all of those are about the literal showbread. I just wanted to load that in your minds. Then I want to read a few other passages that have to do with, with bread in a more general way. Some of these getting into the New Testament. Uh, go to the Psalms in the middle of your book. Let's go to Psalm 78. This is actually about the manna, but I'm interested in how it describes it here. Uh, starting in verse 23. A little summary. This whole psalm is a summary of the Old Testament story. Yet he had commanded the clouds above and opened the doors of heaven, had rained down manna on them to eat and given them of the bread of heaven. The bread of heaven. You see, the bread of heaven, you could say, well, that just means the bread that comes from heaven. But does that bread, the bread of sorrows, doesn't mean the bread comes from sorrow. It means that, you know, it's having that experience of sorrow is the bread of heaven an experience of heaven. Look at the next verse. Men ate angels' food. He sent them food to the full. Yes, angels' food. So this, so this, this bread from heaven was, was angels' food. That's the way it's described in this scripture. Look at Psalm 105 which again describes the manna as heavenly. Look at verse 40. The people asked, and he brought quail and, satisf sorry, and satisfied them with the bread of heaven. The bread of heaven. Yep. So uh, the manna was described as the bread of heaven there. All right, let's go into the New Testament. Uh, let's go to the Gospel of Luke. The third one in there, chapter 22. Okay. Verse, starting in verse 29. Oh, look at verse 28. That's interesting, isn't it? But you are those who have continued with me in my trials. Yes. And I bestow upon you a kingdom, just as my father bestowed one upon me. Uh-huh that you may eat and drink at my table in my kingdom mm. and sit on thrones judging the 12 tribes of Israel. Yes, my table, so eating and drinking. So there's something about the table that has to do with the Lord's kingdom. And we'll be eating and drinking in the Lord's kingdom. And turn to the right and go to John chapter 6, which is the bread chapter. We won't read the whole thing. I did want to look at... Uh, Verse 27. Do not labor for the food which perishes, but for the food which endures to everlasting life, which the Son of Man will give you, because God the Father has set his seal on him. Look at verse 31. Our fathers ate the manna in the desert. As it is written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. Hmm. Then Jesus said to them, most assuredly, I say to you, Moses did not give you the bread from heaven, but my Father gives you the true bread from heaven. Huh. Didn't come from Moses, came from God, right? For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. So this is amazing that the Lord identifies himself as the manna, the bread of God. How powerful is that? The bread of God. 
is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. And then they ask him to always give them this bread. And he says in verse 35, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me shall never hunger, and he who believes in me shall never thirst. And then they complained because he said he came down from heaven. They said, this is the son of Joseph, you know. And, um, and then he says, uh, verse 48. I am the bread of life. Your fathers ate the manna in the wilderness and are dead. This is the bread which comes down from heaven, that one may eat of it and not die. I am the living bread which comes down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. And the bread that I shall give is my flesh, which I shall give for the life of the world. Yes, okay. So uh, he's making a very clear... Um, oh, look at verse 58 down there. One more. This is the bread which comes which came down from heaven, not as your fathers ate the manna and are dead. He who eats this bread will live forever. Okay, so the manna is strongly associated with the Lord. The Lord's identifying himself as the true bread from heaven. And if they eat it, they'll live forever. And you remember in the book of Revelation, he says that those who, you know, I'll, I'll give those who overcome, I'll give them to eat of the hidden manna. Uh, what is that hidden manna? Okay. So, time to start talking about what some of these things mean. The, um, the table, I've misrepresented its size on this chart. It's only half as wide. You know, it should be a little less long and a little wider. It's half as wide as it is long. The uh, table has bread on it. It's all wrapped in gold and so on. There's only, it's a very, when you think about the, Imagine all those children of Israel, there were supposed to be 600,000 men besides for women and children and animals and everything. Just that's a huge crowd of people. There must have been so much chaos when they're moving around and kids crying and things going on, all that sort of stuff. Think about the simplicity of this holy place here. There's only three pieces of furniture. It's just, it's just empty. It's just three little pieces of furniture. So a lampstand, little altar for burning incense, this little table with a little bread laid out all in order. There's nothing else. There's no clutter. There's no noise. Almost nothing ever happens in there. It's just this peaceful place. Didn't it say that it was the pure table? I kept talking about the pure, the table of pure gold. There's a purity about it here. And... Um, Swedenborg says, as you may imagine or know, that the table of showbread has to do with our heart and the lampstand has to do with our mind. This is all about the way the Lord connects with us. And the, where the children of Israel are all around this is just sort of normal life. And then this is set apart. This is something heavenly. This is like the outer heaven. And then you're getting into a deeper heaven here. Swedenborg says the table of showbread is like the, what he calls the heavenly heaven or the celestial heaven. And the lampstand is the spiritual heaven. And um, uh, this, um, the hidden manna, like it's both, uh, okay, there's, there's a sense of wisdom in it. It's, the hidden manna is like a private wisdom that you get from the Lord from living a good life. The fact that it's all covered in gold has to do with that. 
it's twice as long, the table is twice as long as it is wide, because long means how much love it has, and wide is how much truth. And this is about a lot of love. It's more love-based, you know? This, like the most ancient church, the earliest people on this planet, like people on some other planets, it's long on love. And that's what this table is about. It's about love. The table is built, we didn't read that part, I don't, did we, was it in there, in that original description? I think it was, that it was on acacia wood, but it's wrapped all in gold. The acacia wood means mercy, and the gold means our loving actions toward others, the, the, our loving actions. It's uh, got a full state of love, a half state of truth, but it's three-layered, like the one and a half cubits high means that it's fully it's a layered type of thing. The table means a receptacle. What, what is needed? It's similar to the fact, like, you know that when they were going out to gather the manna, they would have to take a basket. You have to have a basket. If you don't have a basket, you can't put the manna in anything. So manna may be showering down on us all the time. If we don't have a basket, we can't, can't do anything with it, you know? And the table is similar. It's a receptacle. So it's something deep within us that is able to receive something actually that comes all the way from the Lord in the Holy of Holies. The Holy of Holies, which is the most holy place with the Ten Commandments in there, is a picture of the Lord and the way that He is in the Word, the way that He is in His divine human. And that comes forth. You notice sometimes it's called the bread of presence. This is a picture of the presence of the Lord deep in our hearts, and the candlestick lampstand, which we may talk about another time, is, uh, is the presence of the Lord in our minds, shining that light. So this is more about the heart, and the, the lampstand is more about the mind. It's the presence of the Lord within us. Swedenborg doesn't say much about this table of showbread, but he does say that the bread means, he uses three words, Joy, peace, and innocence. And then he says, and a whole lot of other things that I not only cannot tell you about, but I am not allowed to tell you about. They are so good. So in a way, I'm tempted to think he named three of the loaves and there are nine others that get better than peace, joy, and innocence. <laughs> now, you didn't think I was giving a little Christmas talk this, this week, but peace and joy, right? And it's Christmas. Uh, this is a table. I believe what this is talking about is that the Lord wants to establish in us a receptacle, some place where joy and peace and innocence will live. And it's deep in our hearts. It's not out here where all the rabble is and the goats are bleeding and the sheep are bawling and, you know, and you're taking the excrement outside the camp and people are getting sick and all this stuff is going on. This is in here. It's not just in here. It's in here. It's deep within our hearts. This is like the highest heaven. You know, this is the first sort of group to kind of catch the Lord as he comes, radiates down through the universe is depicted by that table of showbread. And the, some words that Swedenborg can wrap around it, as I say, that we can start to understand is things like joy, peace, and innocence. Having a place inside yourself. Even if the goat is throwing up out here, 
you can have peace and innocence in here. It's, it's possible. It depicts a condition. And think about that perpetual. Once the Lord, see, it's built on the Lord's model, but it's something that we do. And the high priest who sets up this bread and then actually eats it after the end of the week means the Lord in us. It's something of the Lord in us. It's, the thing is so full of uh, deep symbolism and everything. I've, I've, there's so much I don't understand about it. But the idea that the Lord would then go in there and lay out, okay, here's your week. Here's your weekly bread. You get your daily bread, which is just falling on the tent outside, and you go out with a bucket and you pick it up. But there's the weekly bread that the Lord is laying out in there, laying it out hot, nice and warm, joy, peace, innocence, and nine other things for which there are no human words, beautiful, beautiful things that are experienced in the highest heaven that receive that, and there's a part in us. There's a time when the children of Israel don't have a tabernacle. They have no showbread. They're in slavery in Egypt, and I think their time in slavery in Egypt was a time of some negative emotion, some frustration. You know, after they try to escape, their work is doubled, and they have to get their own straw, and, and its owner, they're, they're in pain. They're crying out to be rescued from this slavery. And then when they get out, they're wandering around in the wilderness and so on, but they don't have a tabernacle yet. And the manna starts coming down, just raining down. They start gathering that. Then they get this model and they're able to create this space. And the Lord is able to show them through their good actions. What is it on the inside? Acacia wood. What does that mean? The sheer mercy of God. It's like you didn't deserve it. There's no reason for it. It's just because the Lord is sweet and nice and has an everlasting love problem. And uh, so he just wants to, he gives you this mercy, but that mercy sits inside the good things that you do for others. And you don't realize it when you're doing good things for others, but the Lord is sneaking in here every Sabbath and laying out this hot bread laying out these beautiful experiences, these emotional... It's not the bread of sorrows, it's the bread of joy, you know? It's not the bread of affliction. It's the bread of innocence, bread of peace, laying these things out inside. We, while we're alive in this world, for everybody else out here, you can't even see it. It's behind 15-foot boards, you know? It's just the, you can't even see that it's in there, but it's in there. And think about it. Once they set it up, did it use the word continual tonight? Did it say perpetual? Did it say they wrap it up and they take it from one place to another and then they set it up again and it's always out there? It's always out there. Once the Lord, it's astounding, but once the Lord has created this receptacle in us, whether we're conscious of it being there every single day or not, once He's created a place for peace and joy and innocence to live in our heart, we will never, ever lose that to eternity. We will never lose that ability to have that experience, to be able to receive the Lord right from the Lord is right in here. And this is just the first stop as it comes down from there that there's all this warm bread lying out there. I think the vessels just mean that, you know, we're able to catch it or whatever. And there's incense there, which has to do with giving all the glory to the Lord and, and being humble and so on, prayers and that type of thing. 
And I'm interested in the fact that this gets baked hot and then set before the Lord. These 12 loaves is what the Lord really wants to create inside us. And then at the end of the week, the Lord in us goes in and eats it. And it becomes incorporated into us as a, as a permanent thing, like we have eaten it. We ate it. We ate that joy. We ate that innocence. And I love this picture. I don't know whether I'm understanding it correctly, but don't you have the experience sometimes, good friends, where, like, do you ever have in your regeneration, friends, do you ever have, like, beginner's luck? Like, you try something new, and you, you, you have a few days where it really clicks. Like, oh, I can feel this thing is happening here. This is good. I know how this works. And then, whoops, that goes away. And then you have to work a little harder for it. Well, I think the first week, that's when the bread is just out on the table, you know? And then you have to eat it. There's a little more work involved in incorporating it. You go out here into this courtyard, and, and you, you really make that more part of your conscious. You know, this is a little more conscious in ourselves than what goes on in here. We'll come into this after we die. Swedenborg explains that he saw people in the other world who, um, even people who to him seemed, he doesn't use this expression, but thick as a brick or, or what, like he just thinks that this, uh, there is no hope for that. I mean, <laughs> come on, sorry. Your life as an experiment has failed, as, as, uh, as Maurice Nicole said at some point. Um, and Swedenborg is amazed that he'll see this spark of life that it just, they get all this wisdom and there's all this amazing, so because wisdom comes from this, that's part of the meaning. One of the things is just the wisdom that comes from this joy and innocence and peace and nine other things too wonderful to even describe that the Lord gives to people in that highest heaven. And he wants to install that in us. So all we're, so meanwhile, we're out here at our best. We're consciously sort of sacrificing a goat or a ram or wave or heave offering this or that. And you think about what goes on out here. There's a whole list of the offerings. There's a difference that I've never understood, frankly, shame to admit it, between a guilt offering and a sin offering. I don't know what the difference is between those two things, but you had one for guilt and you had a different one for sin. Uh, uh, you have offerings at certain times of the year and certain circumstances and all that. You, and you, you have to go at sometimes as the grain offering or the grain offering and the sacrifice of the animal or the turtle doves or whatever it might be. And uh, so that's sort of a little picture of all that drama Right? There's a lot of drama in there, how that's interacting with your spiritual life. That you're, okay, offering this to the Lord and offering that and saying sorry for this and thank you for that and so on. But in here, just this everlasting light and this warm bread that's just, this goes on forever. And, and I think it's developmental too, like all of this is, that it's not just sort of like, yeah, we keep that bread on there, you know, whatever. But it's like, no, that's this week's bread. And then next week is coming something even better. And then next week, something even better. Next week, something even better. And you're pulled forward week by week, Sabbath by Sabbath. You get this new experience of, of you know, something fresh and warm in your heart from the Lord, just building up this capacity in us to experience the Lord's presence, the bread of presence. It's His presence in us in the form of innocence, joy, and peace. So I think the table of showbread is an image of a permanent capacity that the Lord wishes to install in us. There are people, unfortunately, good friends, 
who go through life in this world and roll onto the other world and they never set up their tabernacle, you know, like they didn't, they don't want that. They, they're, they're not about joy and peace or whatever. The, every effort is made, as I've talked, in other, talked about in other Bible studies, to turn people around at that time, do everything possible. But if you really don't want a tabernacle and you don't want that to be the center of your life, your life is about something else, um, unfortunately, it's, it's hard to experience that. The Old Testament talks about blessings in which you will eat bread to the full and curses in which you won't, you know, you'll be starving. It has terrible descriptions of what, what that you'll be spiritually starving. This is about doing something now while we're alive in this world to allow the Lord to install something that's partly us and partly the Lord. We're working together on a model that the Lord showed us that will give us a permanent capacity in our hearts, deep within us, whether we're feeling that on a given day or not. Swedenborg says the experience of dying uh, for people is like waking up out of a sleep. And, and when, there's, when there's wisdom in there, when there's innocence and joy and peace on your table in there, after we die, we get, you know, this gets opened up. Uh, you get to experience the good things that the Lord was putting in there all along. Um, so this food, in a way, is to nourish the Lord in us. You know, it's feeding our souls. It's feeding what is of the Lord in us. It's developing a delight in heavenly love in these states. And once the Lord gives us these emotional experiences, uh, they're never taken away. Um, I want to talk a little bit, it sounds like a total tangent, but uh, I want to talk about Swedenborg's word affection that you may have read in his, his, if you read the Swedenborg in the old translations, you'll see the word affection a lot in their thoughts and affections and things. What is an affection? I've been looking at this a lot and pondering it. And really, affection is a grab bag term that was popular in the 18th and 19th centuries that's kind of gone out of style now. We think about it a different way. But it meant really two different categories of things. Affections mean temporary states of your heart, which we would call emotions or feelings, moods, you know. They're temporary. You may just be in a mood. Some days the most peaceable person is angry, or sometimes the angriest person is peaceable or something. It may be a temporary condition that happens in your heart. And the way Swedenborg describes love versus affection, he's often talking about love and then the affections that come from them and from it and that kind of stuff. I picture this as the love is like a body of water and then the affections are the way that body of water is affected by the weather, by what's going on. So you can have an ocean and that will be, there's just an ocean of love there, but on a given day, it may be an angry ocean, it may be a peaceful ocean. The affection is the state and the state of its response. Okay, so emotions and feelings, that kind of stuff we're very familiar with. What's the other type? The other type is more about a permanent condition of your heart, what you might call an inclination, a disposition, a passion, an interest. After people die, 
Swedenborg says that a thing that routinely happens to people where angels are observing them to see what they're made of and what kind of character they have is that they are subject to various different kinds of influences. My foolish picture of this is that they're taken at one moment to some sort of you know, club where it's dark and there's laser lights and there's throbbing music and, you know, and just see how do they feel about the club, you know? How does their heart, how does their body of water respond to being in that environment? And then they take them out to where somebody's talking about something unbelievably mind-numbingly boring, like the table of showbread, <laughs> and they see whether, how does your heart respond to that? And some people are just falling asleep and, you know, and they, and they look at, do you have an interest? See, an interest, a passion, is not like a mood. It's more permanent, isn't it? Like, there are some things in our lives that are not, where someone could wake you out of a dead sleep and say, blah, 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 and you'd be all excited. Oh, I love that, you know? And you could talk, talk your head off about it because you're excited. That's, that's also meant by an affection. Those two things are called affections in Swedenborg's writings, which makes it very confusing. But I think what we're talking about here with the table of showbread is more like that second type of affection. It's like a permanent capacity for peace, for innocence. You know those things. You know how to have that experience. Not the bread of sorrows, the bread of innocence and peace. I think if we could really experience what innocence and peace and joy and those things are truly, truly like, I think we would realize that this table of showbread is nothing short of that thing that we long for, that we've strived all our lives to find, you know, to fill that hole in our soul. It's that, it's that sort of warm bath that we never experience after we're about four years old or something. You know, it's that thing that we're longing for. Uh, that sense of comfort and safety. What did it say in some of those passages? That the evil beasts are taken out of the land. That's negative emotion is taken out. And you lie down and none shall make you afraid. And your enemies run away from you. It's a state of safety and presence and centeredness. Being in the Lord, the Lord being in you. And your heart is so full. It's so nourishing to your soul this, this bread, this warm bread that's out there, and it, it's a perpetual condition to have that state. Out here, all types of exciting things are going on. And another thing, once you've got that thing, once you've got that table, it's portable. So whether you're in a battle with the Amalekites, that's there, that peace is there. Maybe you're starving and you're, you're thirsty and you're hungry and you're wandering over here and you're lost. That table's there. It goes with you up onto the heights. It goes down into the valleys and the worst places in your life. And it just follows you around. It's there. It's just a steady presence at the center of your lives. Whatever the drama is going on out here, it's something that connects with the Lord at a deep level and has the capacity to receive. It's a receptacle. That table is a receptacle for that bread of joy and innocence and peace. Thank you for your kind attention. Good friends, let's close with a prayer. Lord Jesus Christ, you are the one God of heaven and earth. You are the tabernacle. You are the living bread. 
that came down from heaven. If we eat of that bread, we will never hunger. We will never know that same kind of aching, longing, and loss that so characterizes our life in this world. Thank you, Lord, for showing us the pattern. We don't even realize the importance of the little good things that we do for each other. When we have a thoughtful moment, we send someone a note, or we just do something whether they notice or not. Because with those actions, you, out of your sheer mercy, are building this table of purity deep, 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 deep in our hearts and getting ready, laying out in order, in this order, six in one row, six in another, these experiences of joy and peace and innocence and a host of other things for which there are no words in this or any other language. Thank you, Lord, for the blessing of sharing what is yours with us. We pray for your strength to allow you to set up this tabernacle in us and to center our lives around you. Our Father, who art in the heavens, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, as in heaven so upon the earth. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we also forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Let's keep on repenting and doing good. Maybe the bread is going to be good. <laughs>